Well, it's so good to see everybody here this morning, and uh, I'm excited to be able to share with you again um, and to just encourage you. We did something a little bit different last week as we looked at uh, a message by Stephen Furtick called I Told You So, um, just looking at the faithfulness, the evidence of God's faithfulness, and how God has set certain things up for us to do that are bigger than what we can imagine. And as a church, we're thinking about and praying about 2016. We're thinking about and praying about the reason why God has brought us all together. We want to know what that reason is. Uh, we want to know the reason why we're alive. I don't want to ever get to the end of my life and say, well, I, I kind of messed around here and I did a little bit there and, and at least I, you know, I, I achieved some things in this arena or I was able to accomplish some things there. Like we, want to, we want to absolutely, completely, wholeheartedly walk in every single thing that God has called us to, no matter how difficult it is, no matter what it costs us. Come on, how many of you want to get to the end of your life and you say, I absolutely like, like Paul, he writes this, is one of the greatest statements that you could ever make uh, if it, if if you're saying it honestly at the end of your life, you go, I ran the race and I finished it strong. I, I did everything that God called me to do. And that's something that we're praying for as a church. We're saying, God, we want to do absolutely everything that you have called us to do, no matter what the cost. We want to go ahead and, and be a part of your story. And I want to, we're going to spend a couple of weeks, uh, we're starting a new series this morning called The Blueprint. The blueprint. So I'm going to be uh, sharing a message this morning called the blueprint, and uh, and I want to talk a little bit about God's blueprint for redemption, God's blueprint for your life. You can see the little subtitle there is God's vision for our lives. What is God's vision for our lives? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What does God want with my life? How does he want to use me? How does he want to, to work in me? Why has he put me in Joburg? Why am I sitting here on a Sunday morning? Why uh, am I around and surrounded by the people I'm surrounded by this morning? Why has my life gone through several trials and, and difficulties? Why have I faced the things I've faced? Why has it taken the course that it has taken? What, what is God doing in my heart? What is God doing in my life? And what does he want with my future? Now, let me start off by saying this morning that we believe in a bright future. We believe in a grand future. We believe that God uh, is a God of faith and a God of goodness and a God of grace. And the Bible talks about how those who have been made righteous, that their path grows brighter and brighter until it shines like the noonday sun. We're having a bit of a heat wave in Joburg at the moment, so we know what that feels like when the sun is at its most intense. That's the life of the righteous. That's the path of our church. That's the path of us as a community and of our lives. No matter how dark and, and, and whatever you're going through looks like right now, the truth is there is always faith that, and always hope that God is moving us forward. I recently was doing some stuff with my university studies and I had to do a thesis and I had to kind of pick a theme within systematic theology that I was going to focus on. And, and, it's, and it's kind of this thing is that they, 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 they say that whatever you're going to study as you do your thesis and you're going to build on it again, you're going to build on it again, uh, it becomes kind of the main message of your life. What is that thing that you're focusing on? And I was like, I actually sat down with, uh, with my supervisor at the university two weeks ago and I said, well, I, 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 we named our church Anchor. Because we believe in hope, we believe in restoration, we believe in redemption, we believe in God's heart to restore a broken humanity. And so that became the, the title of my thesis that I'm working on right now is Jesus as the expression of God's heart towards a broken humanity. That's what we're about. We're about letting people know the good news of what Jesus can do through broken people. 
And so there is a, a blueprint, a vision, a mission that God has. And I want to start off this morning by going to Revelation chapter number 5. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can open up at Revelation. It's always fun when a preacher says, turn to Revelation, because anything could happen, right? Anything could come out. But this morning, it's going to be chilled. Revelation 5, we'll talk about dragons in the Middle East and, uh, and, and nuclear weapons next week. But this week, we're just going to Revelation 5. This is one of my absolute favorite chapters um, in the book of Revelation and in the Bible. Um, I love it so much. In fact, I named uh, my sons out of, uh, from a verse in, in this, that some of you are like, that's extreme. He's naming his sons off the Bible verses, but it's true. Revelation 5 and verse 1 to 4. I'm just going to read this a little bit. We're going to pray, and then we're going to uh, chat about the blueprint that God has for our lives. Revelation 5 verse 1 says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back. So we know the scene here. John is having this vision of the throne room. He's uh, being, Jesus is revealing things. That's what revelation means. It's a, it's a revealing. Jesus is revealing something that's behind the scenes, showing what's truly happening. And, and, and John finds himself here in Revelation 5 in the throne room of God. And he sees there's this mighty throne and myriads of angels and, and lightnings and thunders and, 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 and just incredible scene, this, the power, the seat of God's throne and authority. And he sees on this throne sits one, uh, obviously God, and he holds a scroll. And this scroll is written on the front and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or, under, uh, or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. I'm going to leave that scripture there. We'll come back to it a little bit later. But I just want to then go to Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse 8. I'm going to read 8 to 10. Well-known scripture as well. For by grace, everybody say, by grace. You have been saved through faith. Thanks, guys. That's commitment. That was awesome commitment there. Okay, you don't have to repeat this. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. We are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship created in Christ for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm going to go ahead and pray this morning and, uh, and we're going to have a good time uh, just going through the scriptures and, and seeing what God would say to us. Father, we thank you this morning that uh, God, we are not here to hear the voice of a preacher. We're not here to hear the voice of, 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 of human uh, reasoning, God. We're here to hear your voice, your spirit, uh, Father, we pray, we honor you this morning, we, we glorify you, we magnify you, we declare that it's all about you, and we ask, Father, that you would be present with us now as you promised you would be, and that you would speak to every heart, God. Encourage our faith, God. Open our eyes. You came to give sight to the blind. We pray that you would open our eyes and show us exactly the things that you want us to walk in. These good things that you have prepared for us as individuals and as a church to walk in, we want to walk in them, God, with all of our hearts. And so we pray this morning, God, that your spirit would speak and that you would encourage our faith as you help us to turn our eyes onto Jesus. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, 
Amen. Amen. So living in Joburg, a lot of you, I'm sure, uh, like me, live in a, a complex or have lived in a complex at, at one time or another, right? Um, and, and living in a complex, it can be an interesting experience. Anybody live in a complex at the moment? Kind of some of you, we live in a complex. Some of you, it's not really a complex, it's more of an estate. Um, but it's, you know, you think you call complexes uh, a complex because it has multiple homes, but it's actually because of how complex it actually is to live there, right? If you've ever had to deal with a body corporate or a homeowners association or something like that, you know that living in a complex is complex, okay? Um, especially when you live in one of those complexes like ours where the walls are quite low and, and you know, you, you kind of have interesting neighbors that happens, that's fun, um, and neighbors that love to complain. We have this one lady in our, in our complex, we never see her, uh, ever. She's just, all we know is the car that she drives, we don't know anything else about her. Um, I, uh, I, I think I briefly ran into her one time, and, uh, and, and then the band was over at my house a, a couple of weeks back. Uh, they were rehearsing, and uh, one of the band guys, just as he was parking, uh, her, the side of her house and where our gate is is quite close, and one of the band guys kind of, I think his one tire kind of touched like three blades of grass on the corner, and like the next day I got an email from the homeowners association, please, no parking on the grass. You know, they've, they've threatened us about our dogs that bark because... You know, who knew that dogs barked? And, uh, and, and that's kind of what it's like. We've had some interesting situations that I want to go into this morning about living in a complex and what it's like living in, in a complex. And so one of the things that happens when you live in a complex or, or you're a part of an estate is that if you want to make any alterations to your home, you actually have to request approval. You can't just build on and, and add things to your home and kind of cross building lines. You, you, you actually have to get approval. And so recently, Benita and I have been looking at uh, making some small alterations to uh, the bottom section of our home. And, um, and we needed to get that approval. We needed to go and get the plans from the municipality uh, for the guys specifically to know where the pipes are running that are underground. And so we needed to go and, and get these plans. And I realized, by looking at the plans, you realize that over the years, that the house has been, has been altered, that it's been changed. Before we even bought it, people were making changes to, changes to it. What, what is now uh, one of our side rooms used to be a garage that, that somebody closed up and, 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 and turned into a garage. The, the layout has been changed. There was a door that was removed. And, and as I was kind of looking at the plans and thinking through this, it got me thinking about how... Um, at some point, there was an original plan for that house. At some point, there was an architect who sat down and he said, this is how this house will function. This is how this house will flow. This is how the rooms will work together. This is what the intended purpose is of each portion of the house, of each, of, of, of each section and every room. This is how they are meant to function together. There was an architect who spent time drawing up the plans for our house. And as much as we want to come in and we can often change kind of the superficial things, the color, and we can close one door and open another one and we can add something here or there, the house only truly makes sense when we go back to the original plan. When we go back to what was the intention, why this house was built. And it's the same with our lives. 
that we are born and we grow up in certain circumstances and situations and we feel the need to make a change here or to change something here or add something or to take something away and to make an alteration. And, and we, a lot of times that's a process of us figuring out what we actually want and who we actually are. But when we go to God, we find out that there was an original plan. For every single person in this room today, God has a blueprint for your life. It's specific. It's measured out. It has boundaries. It has measurements. It has times. It has spaces. It has functions. God has all of these things already in His blueprint put together for your life. The Bible says that God even determines the boundaries of our dwelling, where we will live and what time we will live in. It's not, it's not by accident that you're alive today in 2015 that you're here, that you're, that you're sitting in this room. God works these things together. He has an original blueprint, a vision for your life. He sat down and, and He created you with, with intentionality. There's a purpose for your life. I'm going to come back to this probably over the next three weeks. I absolutely love this scripture with Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter number 1 and verse 4 to 5, where Jeremiah is called as a young man by God. And God says, it says, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. We said how that last week, how that connected to Psalm 139, where God says, when you were in the secret place, I knew your unformed substance. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, says God. Just let that sink in for a moment. You didn't just get to know God uh, one day when somebody came and invited you to church. That's not when God kind of met you and said, hey, you know, I'm God. You're okay. Let's, let's, let's get to God has known you and had an intention and a plan and a purpose for your life before you were even formed. He knew you. He says to Jeremiah, and before you were born, I consecrated you. There's an original blueprint. Before the foundations were even laid, before the building was built, before a brick went on top of another brick in your life, God already consecrated you, which means to separate you, to, to set you apart, to, to, to prepare you for what he wants to do. He says, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. There's an appointment. And I want you to notice something here that, None of this is attached to any human qualification. Do you guys notice that? It's not attached to uh, how your intelligence rates to other people or, or how much you've achieved in life or how well you know your Bible. or, 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 or there's, no, there's no qualification here. God qualifies you from before birth. He says, I've called you, I've consecrated you, I've appointed you. And now you go where I tell you to go and you say what I tell you to say. This is not subject to some human approval. This is the calling of God on your life. And you know why that's so important to know? Because there will be times, even as a church, and I believe the scripture is true for our church. I believe as a church that before we were even formed, God knew Anchor Church would exist. I mean, we, we've only known for about a year that God was going to do this. But way before that, God knew that He has called this church for a purpose. Before we were born, He had consecrated us and appointed us as a prophet to the nations. That's what God has done. 
You know, as we go along the journey as a church and as individuals, there will be people who come into our lives. There will be situations where the devil will want to rob us of our confidence in doing what God has called us to do. That's why I love, uh, I don't have it up on, on the screen, but later on in Jeremiah chapter number 20, you actually have Jeremiah and, uh, and, and he's now doing the things that God has called him to do. He's speaking the prophecies. He's, he's, you know, he's speaking to the nations. He's doing these incredible things. But he experiences a lot of turmoil and a lot of backlash as a result. People are saying bad things about Jeremiah. And later on, he actually goes, God, you've deceived me. I love the way he puts it. He says, you've deceived me and I have been deceived. You've deceived me and I have been deceived. Because... You told me to go and speak these things, and, 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 but, but, but all along you knew that people were going to revile me, they were going to exclude me, they were going to speak against me. But now if I come to this place where I say, okay, that's it, I've had enough, I will no longer speak in your name. He says, what happens, Jeremiah says, what happens when I say I will no longer speak in the name of God, I'll no longer prophesy. He says, your word in my heart becomes like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. And I grow weary of holding it in, and indeed I cannot. It's like, so God, I don't, even though it's the, the, the calling that you've placed on my life calls me to do difficult things, I cannot physically stop doing what you've called me to do. Because you've put a fire in my heart that's like a fire shut up in my bones. And I'm praying that in that same way as God called Jeremiah, that we would recognize that he has called us and if we say for one moment, okay, that's it. I've had enough of church. I've had enough of anchor. I've had enough of reaching my city. I've had enough of helping people. I've had enough of this. That God would cause his word, the vision that he has for our lives to become like a fire shut up in our bones where for one moment it is more difficult for us to not do what God has called us to do than to actually just go out and do what God has called us to do. Because he gives us both the will and the ability to do what he's called us to do. So, God had this blueprint for Jeremiah, and he has a blueprint for our lives. We might go through different seasons. We might change our style. We might adapt certain things, but there is always still an original plan. There's a plan for you as an individual. This message applies to us individually this morning, that God had that specific moment with you as a person. When he formed you, just like he had with Jeremiah. But a part of God's plan was that we wouldn't remain as individuals. Does it make sense this morning? He had a plan for us individually, but that plan was for us to be in a community. It's like building a house, but you're in a complex. God has placed you in a complex. It's a good complex. It's a good body corporate, trust me. And so what I'm saying is, is that when, when you're an individual, God calls you, but he adds people to your life and he puts you a part of a community. And then you have your individual call, but it, it becomes a part of a corporate calling that God has on a group. God has a, a calling on this local church, Anchor Joburg. He has a calling and an expression for other local churches. And together as the church globally, he has a calling for us. And we all play our part according to what God has given us. We all play our parts. We think that Anchor Church was our great idea, but it wasn't. God knew, just like he knew with, with Jeremiah and with Esther and with Paul and with Jesus, he knew exactly what he wanted to do 
and how he wanted to use us to do it. God is the master architect. The master architect. The architect of all time and all life and all redemption. And you're alive today because God chose to script you into his plan of redemption. He has this, this plan. I believe that we as a church are just another wave in God's relentless pursuit of the people he loves. We're just one more wave. Did you, uh, didn't you love that song this morning? Because your love in wave after wave crashes over me. Yeah, that's, what, that's what God wants to do with this city, with people who don't know him. He wants to, to cause his love to crash into their lives in wave after wave after wave. How's God going to do that? He's going to do it through people like us. He's going to do it through us as a church. He's calling us to, to influence, to love, to, to express, to share His goodness, His grace with the people of our city. Because He has an original plan. Revelations 5 verse 1 to 4 that we read in the beginning. I'm just going to read it one more time because I want to show you what's happening here. It says, I saw in the right hand of Him who seated on the throne a scroll written on the front and the back, sealed with seven seals. And a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy. What does this picture mean? What is this picture saying? You have God sitting on the throne and he holds a scroll in his hand. That scroll represents God's plan for redemption. To redeem the lives of the people he loves. To redeem our world. It's God's total plan for redemption. And it's written within and on the back because it's complete. The plan that God has to redeem us is a complete plan. We can't add to it. We can't take away from it. When God saves you in your life, he does it completely according to his plan. There's nothing that you can add to your salvation or take away from your salvation. It's all in the plan of God. But here's the problem. Even though God is holding this, this plan that he has for redemption, there was no one on the earth found worthy of opening the scroll. In other words, there was no one worthy of redeeming us. We couldn't be redeemed. And so John is standing in the throne room of God. He sees that God has the plan of redemption, but he sees that it is sealed. And the Bible says he begins to weep. Because it means that he is lost. In that moment, John realizes that if, it, if, if God cannot save me, if, if, if no one is found worthy to enable and, and to empower the plan of God on the earth and in my life, then, then I am lost. And so John begins to weep bitterly. So much so that he's not even, he's not even looking around him anymore. He just, he just weeps. Without the redemption of God, without His grace, we could never be saved. We can never fulfill the purpose that God has for our lives. But look at what happens next. In Revelations 5 verse 5, it says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Behold. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David. Who is this speaking about? Speaking about Jesus. 
There's no one to redeem us. There's no one to save us. There's no one to enable God's plan of redemption. There's the, 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 the plan is there. The blueprint is in God's hand. How he's going to save us and redeem us and change this world, it's in his hand, but there's no one found worthy. And so John weeps. He goes, the, the angel says to him, the elder says to him, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He conquered all sin. He conquered, uh, he defeated death. And now he stands victorious. And so the elder says, John, don't weep. We found someone worthy. God has made a plan. And so John stops weeping and he turns around to see. I can just imagine what John was expecting to see. I mean, if somebody comes up to you and says, and, and says to you that, 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 that you, you should stop crying because behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. I mean, that's quite a title. You're expecting to see this massive lion. You're expecting to see, uh, you know, if we're talking in imagery, something that's going to be breathtakingly powerful and majestic and mighty and strong. I mean, who is strong enough to open up the scroll and to release God's redemption on the earth? Who is strong enough? What would you see if you turned around to see it? And so John turns. Revelations 5, 6, it says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. He sees a slain lamb. The lion has prevailed. Behold the lion. And he turns and hears Jesus like a lamb slain. The lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. Blueprint. God had a plan. And what I love about this is that it shows us the strength of God through His grace. That's what makes God strong. It's His grace. It's His, his ability to forgive those who have harmed Him. That what's, that's what makes Him different from every other God. That He was Jesus hanging on the cross. People are reviling Him. People are mocking Him. People are spitting at Him. Uh, people have put Him up there. They've nailed Him to the cross. And He looks at them and He says, Father, forgive them. That's strength. That's power. We see the power of God. The lion of the tribe of Judah who has conquered as a lamb. And I remember that there was a time when my wife and I uh, weren't sure if we would ever have kids. Uh, medically, it was impossible for us to have kids. And, and, and it was something that we almost had to come to terms with is that there's a very real chance that we would never have children. I remember when we had our first boy, Eli, we called him Eli John, which means God is gracious. It means God is gracious. We're just like, God is just so gracious. We were overwhelmed. But you know what happened then? We wanted more kids. <laughs> And it was like, we had to trust him even further. And we were like, is there a limit to the power of God? It was a real temptation for us to go, wow, he did it once, but I don't know if he can do it again. That might just be just a bridge too far for us. You know, I read this in Revelations 5. And I realized the strength of God's grace. The power of his willingness to intervene in our lives and to redeem every area of our lives because God is all about this plan for redemption. And so after that, we had twins, which is obviously double and, and more than, and exactly what we had lost when we had 
uh, fallen pregnant, pregnant before. We had lost a baby and we had lost a set of twins. And now we, we had Eli and we had a set of twins. And that's why we called them Leo and Jude. Because it's the Lion of Judah. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. He has prevailed. He has opened and released God's plan of redemption. Here's what I'm saying to you. Whatever areas of your life is broken, God has a plan to redeem them. Whatever areas of your life are are lying in, in tatters, God has a plan to restore them. And through that restoration, He has a plan to perpetuate that redemption. So that as our lives are being restored, we go out and we declare the message of redemption and restoration to this city who does not know it yet. There's a plan that God has and that He wants to release through our lives. Ephesians 1 verse 7 to 8 says, In Him we have redemption. We have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished upon us. In Christ we have redemption. And that's what we saw in our lives. God is the restorer of all things. Many times we're in the same position as John where we're sitting and we're weeping and we're saying, God, God, how are we going to get through this? God, how are we going to face this? God, how are we going to progress in life? And, and it's in those moments when the Holy Spirit comes and he whispers in our ears. And what he whispers, he says, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. Don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed and he is worthy to loose those to open the scroll and its seals that's what God's going to do in our lives but more than that that's what God wants to do through our lives a while back we spoke about the baptism of Jesus and we spoke about how Jesus came at the age of 30 uh, to John the Baptist and he was baptized in the Jordan River and as Jesus was, was baptized, he was raised up out of the water. And all of a sudden, there was this moment where the voice of God was heard. The clouds opened up. The voice of God was heard. And uh, the Spirit of God descended down on Jesus. And, and, and while those clouds were opened, what God's voice said is, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And we looked at this message uh, a while back in how Jesus then went from that moment, and he went out into, a, into the desert, into the wilderness where he was tempted. And we said that the reason why Jesus overcame the temptation, the reason why he didn't succumb to the challenges and to the, to, to the temptation of Satan, was because he knew that his father was pleased with him. And this is what redemption does in our lives. When we were baptized into Christ, the sinful self is done away with. We are redeemed, we're renewed, we're restored as new creations. And when we stand as new creations, God looks at us and he says, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. And so when temptation comes and trials comes and difficulties come and the devil tries to distract us and take us away, we are confident in the fact that God is pleased with us because of Christ. That we are in Christ, that we are hidden with Christ in God. Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That, that we have returned to the blueprint. There's no alteration that can be made any longer. 
We don't need to build on and to add or to break off or to change because God has brought us to this place of, of, of the original intention of our lives. And so Jesus is tempted just as we often are. And what the temptation is, is to forget what you already have in Christ. It's to forget how much God actually uh, approves of you because of Christ. And what the plan of the enemy is, is to take you or to distract you from the purpose of your life. You see, Paul says, I press on to lay a hold of that for which Christ has laid a hold of me. I want to lay a hold of that for which Christ has laid a hold of me. So when Christ laid a hold of your life, there was a purpose with it. There was a plan. There was a blueprint. And the devil will want to distract us from laying a hold of that for which Christ laid a hold of us. Does that make sense this morning? That's where he robs our confidence. That's where he begins to undermine. That's where he takes Jesus out and says, I'll give you all these kingdoms. I'll give you everything you want. It's trying to distract us from what God has called us to. He'll send every kind of hindrance, every kind of discouragement, obstacle, opposition to prevent you from finding this blueprint and the purpose for which you have been ordained. As a church, I really don't want that to happen to any of us or to us as a group. God has ordained us. He's restored us. He's, he's brought us together. We're the, this crazy group of people that have come from all walks of life. And he has, he has put us together as people who have been redeemed. And the worst thing that could happen to us right now is that we simply become complacent. We become distracted. We think that being a part of a church is all about doing that. Or it's all about just attending every now and again on a Sunday. Or it's all about this. Or it's all about that. And we, we miss the purpose why God brought us all together. Can I say this morning that I want to be absolutely clear on what it is that God has called us to do. And I want us to pursue that wholeheartedly. Church, are we together on this? We're, we're not here to just enjoy a quick Sunday and then, and then go home and live our life. We, we are here because God has called us to something more. He declared that we are redeemed, that we have been, that we have been made righteous by, through Christ. He, he said that these are my people in whom I am well pleased. And as we're beginning to walk in our purpose, the devil will try and say, oh, make it about this. Make it about that. Just, just attend every now and again. Just kind of have this I'm on the outside mentality. Those are all things that the devil will do to try and stop what God wants to do through our lives together. So directly after Jesus was tempted, directly after he was tempted, he begins to preach in the synagogues. And he goes into Nazareth. And I want to look at what he does in, in just after this temptation in the synagogue. Luke 4 verse 16. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Right? We've just read Revelation 5. 
God has the plan of redemption in his hand and there is no one who can open it. And here we have Jesus straight after he has received the baptism and the empowerment. The Bible actually says he went up into Nazareth empowered by the spirit, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he goes straight into the synagogue and somebody hands him a scroll. I love that. Here stands Jesus with a scroll in his hand and he unrolled the scroll. He opens it. God is releasing his redemption on the earth. What is the mission of God? What is the heart of God towards us as sinners? What is the heart of God towards Joburg, towards South Africa, towards our city, towards our nation and the nations of the world? Jesus stands with a scroll and he unrolls that scroll and finds the place where it was written. Verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, which means he has empowered me to proclaim the good news to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll. Jesus rolled up the scroll again, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Just like when Jesus had died on the cross, he went into heaven, the Bible says, and he sat down at the right hand of God. That signifies that the work has been done. He rolls up the scroll. So Jesus stands up, opens it, reads it up. This is why I'm here, is essentially what Jesus is saying. This is why I'm here. This is why I came. I came to heal the brokenhearted. I came to bring redemption. I came to bring liberty. I came to set the captives free. I came to let people know that this is the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls it up and he gives it to the attendant and he sits down. Jesus fulfilled this, not only in this moment, but through his life. And we see that in Revelation 5. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. They were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What was the blueprint? Why? What, what was God's plan all along? Jesus was God's plan. And he sent Jesus. And Jesus unrolls the scroll and he, he declares the heart of God towards us as sinners, towards broken people. Good news to the poor. You know, poverty is not just about money. There's a poverty far greater than money, which is to be poor in spirit, in the negative sense, to, 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 be, to be bankrupt spiritually. Jesus says, I've come to bring good news to those who, who couldn't pay. They couldn't afford redemption. They, they couldn't afford salvation. They couldn't afford to fix their lives. Many of us have tried to fix our lives a thousand times over and we've realized that it's a price too high to pay. We don't have the means, the resources. Jesus says, I've come to give good news to the poor. To bring healing to the brokenhearted. To see the captive set free. To bring sight to the blind. Those who are, who are wandering around aimlessly, I have sight for them. And to declare that this is the year of the Lord's favor, which was another way of saying the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was every 50 years in Israel, 
every 50 years, God declared that everybody's debt was completely wiped out. I wonder how that would have worked though, because you're 49, I'm buying boats, I'm buying planes, you know, I'm buying whatever, because I know next year it's all free. Um, but God declares this. He goes, in the 50th year, everybody's debt is wiped out. Slaves are sent home. Everybody is set free. And Jesus says, now that I am here, all debt is forgiven. It's wiped out. The year of God's favor. This is what Jesus came to do, to redeem, to win back, to heal, and to deliver. I want to jump back as we end this morning to Revelations 5 and verse 9. This is the last scripture I want to give you. This is still part of that same story. Uh, they've seen Jesus. He's unrolled the scroll. He's, uh, you know, th there's a massive bout of worship that breaks out in the throne room. And it says in verse 9, Revelations 5 verse 9, it says, And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. This is what they're singing about Jesus. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed, you redeemed. That word ransom means to, to pay a price, to buy back. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus, you paid the price so that people could be redeemed from, from every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. What I'm trying to show you here this morning is that we are a part of that story. God had a blueprint to how he would redeem this earth. And he set everything up. Jesus is the center of this blueprint. And now God says that he has made us to be king, a kingdom and priests to our God. Priests were the one who reconciled people to God. The Bible says that we have been given the same ministry that Jesus had, which was the ministry of reconciliation. To reconcile people, people who don't know God, people who are broken, people who are lost, people who are wandering, they're blind. And God says that he has called us to re reconnect them with, with the Father, to let people know what Jesus came to do and what Jesus was all about. God didn't have 10 different plans to how he was going to redeem the earth. He has one plan, one blueprint. And you are here today because your name is etched on that blueprint. Your name, your name, your surname, your date of birth, it's on there. It's in the blueprint. And Anchor Church Joburg is on there as well. We're a part of something far bigger than ourselves. It's God's plan of redemption. Our mission as a church is to be the body of Christ. And being the body of Christ means that we, we come to proclaim what Jesus has done. We come to, to preach the good news to the poor like Jesus did. We come to declare that there is healing for the brokenhearted, that captives can be set free. And that is why we are here as a church. We're not going to be passive. We're not going to be quiet. We're not going to go away. 
no matter how difficult it gets, we are going to fulfill the call that God has on our lives. And there's fulfillment in it for us. There's joy in it for us. There's peace in it for us. Year after year after year, we are going to relentlessly pursue the purpose that God has for our lives. So as a church, we have a vision for 2016. And that is why we're asking all of you not to allow the devil to distract you and not to ignore the call of God in your life. We're asking you not to just sit in a seat on a Sunday morning, um, but to get up and to, and to get in. Let's, let's do this. Let's take a city. Let's influence lives. Let's reach into people's lives. Let's, let's start a connect group and invite some people over that don't know Jesus and start sharing with them the things that Jesus came to do for them. I know that this is such a big thing for us as a modern uh, society because we're all so busy and we're all running around and we're all, we're all so often distracted. I love what John Piper once said. He can sometimes uh, be a bit extreme, but he, he, he said something once. He said that social media will forever remove the excuse from humanity that we're too busy to pray. Because if we say, I can't pray, I don't have time, but we spend hours a day on social media. We spend hours a day in front of the TV. We spend hours a day pursuing our own selfish things. But when God says, can you help me to save the lives of people who are lost and broken? We're like, God, I would have loved to pray, but you know, I just don't have time. It's not going to be a valid excuse. And for me, even though I've got to cut back on my own social media time and my own TV time and all of that kind of stuff. This is not about rules. This is about, Adrian, do you want to discover the blueprint for your life? And do you want to walk absolutely in the purpose that God has for you? And this morning, I'm asking the same question of you. We can make our lives about many different things. But I'm saying, why don't we take that step of faith? Why don't we take that chance and walk in and discover all the great things that God has planned for us to do as a church. And why don't we dream big and pursue the heart of God for, for the people of our city? Come on, that's, that's what we're here to do, to make an eternal difference. We're not going to take anything else with us into eternity except people. That's the only thing that has eternal value, people. So let's begin to reach into the lives of people. And in 2016, what we're praying about as a leadership, we're meeting this week, is we're gonna talk about how can we do that more effectively? How can we raise up leaders? How can we train people, disciple people? How can we reach the city? What will it take for us to reach the city? We have a vision for next year, and I am praying that every single one of you will become a part of it, that you would get up, that you would lean in, and that you would, would, would find the blueprint, the, the, the gifting, the, 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 the grace that God has put on your life, and that together we will reach the city. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.